And today we're going to look at the difficult relationship that Jacob and Esau had with each other. And this, is, this covers several chapters in Genesis. So I want us to start by looking at Genesis 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. About 10 years ago, during a family meal in a restaurant, I was acutely aware of the tension between my two teenage sons. It had been building for the last few months. After the meal, as we went out into the car park, a terrible physical fight ensued between them. It was so violent, I thought they were going to kill each other. And one of my sons sustained a nasty ankle injury, which took months to heal. So for me, the biblical story of warring brothers Esau and Jacob resonates deeply. And I believe there's much in this story to help us with the difficulties we face in our own families. Family relationships can be extremely difficult. And deep divisions can develop which are often really difficult to resolve. It's reassuring, therefore, to know that the great heroes of faith that we read about in the Bible also had the same difficulties. The story of Esau and Jacob described in chapters 25 to 33 in Genesis is one of the most gripping and unsettling stories in the Bible yet shows us God's gracious mercy and faithfulness, even in the midst of bad behavior and family breakdown. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Their parents, Isaac and Rebekah, had prayed for 20 years for a baby, and then Rebekah became pregnant with twins. Even before they were born, they jostled in the womb, and a prophecy declared that this was because they would lead two separate nations, and the older will serve the younger. As they were born, Esau, which means red, was followed by Jacob, who was grasping his brother's heel. And the name Jacob literally means one who grasps the heel, signifying someone who was crafty and cunning. The rivalry between the brothers was fostered by an unhealthy favoritism shown by their parents, Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac favored Esau, who was physically strong, ruddy in complexion, and very hairy. He loved hunting and was impetuous, preferring to satisfy his immediate needs rather than being patient. Rebekah favored Jacob, who was quiet and homely, a strategic thinker, prone to manipulating other people in order to gain a better life for himself. It's important to note that favoritism in families is extremely toxic, and we should shun any inclination we feel as parents to favor one or other of our children. There were two key incidents during their youth that led Esau to want to kill his brother. First, Jacob takes advantage of Esau's hunger and tiredness after a day's hunting by offering him a tasty stew in exchange for Esau's birthright. As the elder son, Esau was entitled to inherit a double share of his father's estate. Desperate to satisfy his hunger and without thinking about the consequences for his future, Esau gladly agreed to give Jacob his birthright. 
He later realised he'd made an impulsive and silly mistake, which led him to feel angry and bitter towards Jacob. He blamed his brother rather than looking at his own foolish behaviour. When we make mistakes, even if others are at fault and have taken advantage of us in a moment of weakness, we need to examine our own behaviour and take responsibility for our decisions. Also, we shouldn't make important decisions when we're tired or hungry. Secondly, with his mother's help, Jacob tricked his father into giving his deathbed blessing, which it was intended for the eldest son, Esau. Esau was devastated when he found out and swore to kill his brother. Jacob had to flee and escape Esau's wrath. So with his mother's help, he set off to work as a shepherd for his uncle Laban and to seek to marry his younger daughter, Rachel. The consequences of Jacob's trickery were that he had to live a life isolated from his immediate family for the next 20 years. During that time, he himself became the victim of deceit and trickery. When having worked for seven years to marry Laban's daughter, he was tricked into first marrying the older sister, Leah. Perhaps this caused him to think of how he had wrongly treated his brother, as he too experienced the pain of being cheated out of something that had been promised. When others mistreat us, it is good to reflect on how we treat other people and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to repent of any ungodly attitudes or behavior towards others. We're not told much about what happens to Esau in the years that follow his murderous threats against his brother, except that he becomes prosperous and a successful leader. But we know a great deal about how God worked in Jacob's life, and that Jacob became a man who sought God, who recognized God's faithfulness in his life, and who turned to God in moments of great fear and desperation. It seems whilst not condoning Jacob's deceitfulness, God did honor the fact that Jacob sought God's blessing on his life, whereas Esau had despised his birthright. Then in chapter 31 of Genesis, after about 20 years away from his immediate family, God speaks to Jacob and tells him to return to his family. He knew he would have to encounter his brother. We're told that in great fear and distress, Jacob prays to God and plans how to seek to pacify his brother. He spends a night alone, praying, wrestling with God, refusing to let go until God blesses him, even sustaining an injury to his hip in the process. And then we read about his encounter with Esau, and we're going to read that now in Genesis chapter 33. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. 
Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, Oh, I've already plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth, which means shelters. After Jacob came from Padar, Aram, he arrived safely in the city of Sheshem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Sheshem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means mighty is the God of Israel. So, in the intervening years, Esau's bitterness and terrible anger had dissipated, probably because his life had turned out well, despite the injustices he'd suffered in his youth, and perhaps he recognized that he was in part to blame, and so had taken responsibility for this. The distance from his brother had helped heal the wounds instead of being a constant reminder of his brother's unkindness. Jacob, too, had changed a great deal. He sent generous gifts to his brother. He humbled himself before him by bowing down seven times as he approached him. In verse 11, he offers the blessing back to his brother. In a scene reminiscent of the story of the prodigal son, Esau runs to Jacob, embraces him, and they weep tears of repentance and joy. It is an amazing moment of complete reconciliation and forgiveness. So what can we learn from this story when there is disharmony in the family? I've come up with four Ps to help us. So we can pray, we can patiently wait, we can proffer blessing, and we can plan a way forward which leads to peace. So first of all, prayer. 
we can go directly to God with our own foolish mistakes and with the sins that others commit against us. We can weep, shout, and pour out our hurt, our rage, and our pain. Jesus came to redeem these very painful things that can happen in our lives. In Isaiah 53, which describes Jesus, it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, and by his wounds we are healed. At times the hurts may be so deep and difficult that we need to seek the wise counsel and prayer of a mature Christian who can help us to turn these things over to God and to seek God's help with a problem. We may find it hard to trust God, but with the help of our fellow Christians, we will find God's comfort, counsel and strength. It is sometimes in the lowest point of our lives when we feel most alone, as Jacob did the night before he set out to meet his brother, that God comes to us and reassures us that he is with us and that he will help us. Even though we may have messed up badly in our relationships, with God's help, all things are possible. In Philippians 3 verse 20, we read that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God loves to redeem our mistakes. Redemption and forgiveness were won for us on the cross. And we must trust and believe that with God, all things are possible. Secondly, patience is needed. Unfortunately, we are sometimes given the impression that forgiveness is a one-off event, and sometimes it is, but it can also be a process which God works in us over a period of time. This is especially true when we have been very deeply wounded. We notice that Esau and Jacob were cut off completely from each other for about 20 years, but during that time, God was at work in both of them, leading them to the point when reconciliation became possible. God may bring events and people into our lives to teach us about ourselves and to teach us to persevere in seeking God's help and blessing in our lives. God uses all these things ultimately to benefit us if we are willing and humble enough to allow God to shape us and change us through pain and difficulties. Romans 8 verse 28 says, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We notice too that although Esau had made some bad choices, God was still gracious to him and still blessed his life with good things. It may have been this realization of God's grace and goodness to Esau that helped him to let go of the sting of injustice that had led him to murderous intentions towards his brother. Thirdly, proffering blessing. This is required to enable reconciliation to happen. This often involves eating humble pie. Jacob bowed down to his brother as a sign of humility. This bowing down might mean we take the first steps in admitting our part in a problem, or it might mean deciding to overlook the offense completely, as Esau did. He just ran up to Jacob and threw his arms around him. 
It also means being generous in various ways so that we bless those who have hurt us and we don't seek to be awkward or vengeful. This may not be easy, but God promises to raise up the humble and bring down the proud. In Peter, we read, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It does not mean, however, that we should keep submitting to mistreatment or abuse. That is definitely not what I'm talking about. If you are being abused, you must seek help to escape from your situation, which will mean leaving and separating from your abuser. If you need this sort of help, please do speak to me or one of the other leaders and we'll direct you to the safeguarding officers who will assist you. Fourthly, plan how to proceed once reconciliation has been made. Jacob wisely does not take up Esau's invitation to go and live in the same region. Reconciliation does not mean that we will then go on to have a close relationship as sometimes it is sensible to realize that certain personalities will always tend to clash and rub each other up the wrong way. Act wisely following a reconciliation and do what seems to lead to maintaining peace, even if it is not what others expect. The important thing is that you are at peace with each other. My sons, who are like chalk and cheese, are in a much better relationship with each other now that they don't have to live together. They have very different personalities and interests, one being a quiet introvert, the other an ebullient extrovert. I've prayed a lot for them and continue to seek God's blessing and healing in their lives. Like all parents, my first husband and I made mistakes in our parenting and in our marriage, but I'm learning that God loves to redeem our mistakes. We need to take our hands off the tiller and allow God to work. I used to try to organize happy get-togethers for my sons, but realized I wasn't helping. (laughs) They've got on a lot better since I stopped trying to make it happen, and I just pray. I think as Christians, we can sometimes be ashamed to admit to difficulties in our families. Let's be real with each other and pray for each other. Suspend judgment and advice and pray for God to work, remembering that it's sometimes a slow process. But we can be absolutely sure that God hears us and will help us. I recently listened to a program on Radio 4 about someone who worked in a hospice She said that when people are dying, they don't express regrets about not completing their bucket list or not achieving their ambitions, but they do express regret for relationships that were never reconciled. Let's be people who, with God's help, seek to live in peace with our family and, of course, with all those with whom we relate. The Bible says in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And in James, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. As I was preparing this talk, I woke repeatedly in the night with this verse from 1 Corinthians 13, 13 in my head. And I think it's because God wanted us to pay attention to it today. 
Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I pray that in our families and all our relationships, we will exercise faith, hope, and especially love.